church this morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good. It's good to have you guys here. Um, we're finishing up a series in the book of Nehemiah, so it's exciting for that. And uh, it's been a great series. Uh, for you guys who've made it at least three out of the four weeks, have you enjoyed it? It's been good. See, that, that's all I ask in a series. I'm not asking you to be here every week, but if you get three out of four, you're doing pretty good, right? Amen. We're turning your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 6. And we'll start with verse 3. We'll live in, in chapter 6. As you know, we love to teach and preach straight through the Bible. So we'll be going straight through that today. And uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, I want to say welcome. We're honored to have you here. This is why we do what we do. Uh, I remember June the 8th, my, uh, June the 9th, my second Sunday here, we had 23 people in this church. And uh, we could have shot a shotgun three ways and not hit anybody. And uh, God has been very favorable. And thank you guys for being here today. It makes it worth it for us to do what we do uh, here. If you're a first-time guest, make sure you fill out your guest card. You can put it in the basket in the back. Um, if you did not get a guest card, they're back there. I want to keep in touch with you. I'd like to personally uh, just connect with you and let you know about more about Thrive Church. If you have any questions, you can definitely ask me. I am available and approachable. And hopefully, um, I have enough information to help you. Amen. Look at Nehemiah 6.3. Go ahead and turn there. There was a story involving Yogi Berra and Hank Aaron in the World Series. And Yogi Berra played for the Yankees. This is before my time and many of you guys' time. But as Hank Aaron went to the plate, Yogi Berra actually was the catcher. And as he went up there, Hank got ready to hit. And Yogi, as he usually would, was like, hey, hey, Henry, Hank, Hank, Henry, hey man, hey, 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 you're holding the bat the wrong way. Trying to get his attention, trying to distract him. And Hank Aaron hit a home run on the next pitch. And he looked at Yogi and said, I didn't come here to read. I came here to hit home runs. <laughs> In essence, what he was saying was, you've got to be focused on what you're assigned to. And you can't be distracted by the enemy. Because the harder you, or the closer you get to what God's called you to do, the harder the enemy's going to fight. To distract you, to dilute you. And we're going to look at that this morning. Look at uh, Nehemiah 6.3 here. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. I want you to say this after me. The closer I get, that was really good, um, the harder Satan will fight. Realize that in your life. I want to speak to you for a few minutes about finishing strong. Father, we ask you to bless this time of the word. We thank you for the word of the living God. We praise you for it this morning, God. We honor your word here at Thrive Church, God. And we're just so thankful to be able to preach and teach from it and have your revealed will through it. God, this morning I pray that you would use me. That, Lord, um, if there's anything that should not be said in this message, just remove it from my lips. If there's something that should be said, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher and preacher. And you have full right to share in this place. We ask you to bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in a series in the book of Nehemiah now for four weeks. And what we've been looking at is an ordinary guy named Nehemiah who was a cupbearer. And as you know, a cupbearer was pretty much a butler, a glorified butler. He was not a priest. He was not a king. He didn't have any superpowers. He was just like me and you. And as I said in the first week, if you were here, uh, he had a burden where he said, that's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. Uh, as our good friend Popeye would say, right? 
And so Nehemiah gets this burden. He sits down to cry and pray for three months. He prayed and fasted and sought the Lord, saying, God, what do you have for me? And then we see that he approached the king in chapter 2. And this king did not like Israel. Realized he had all of Israel in captivity. So it's like going to one of the, the, the leaders of Al-Qaeda and saying, will you help us plant churches in America and help us grow the cause of Christianity? How ludicrous does that sound? Pretty bad, right? So but Nehemiah goes and the amazing thing is that God actually gives them favor and the king says, not only will I send people back to Jerusalem, but I will give you resources to do it. Now to me, that's amazing that that would happen because I would be a little scared that the king would, would kill me or those things. He could have lost his job. He could have lost everything, but he had a burden. So 140 years, his people had been in exile. Imagine that America was shipped off to another country and all of our churches and all of our schools and our defense systems were all destroyed and nobody was left here. Imagine walking through and seeing the rubble for 140 years, desolate, broken down, the God of the Bible not worshipped. And Nehemiah stood up and he followed two other great men, Ezra and Zerubbabel, and he came to rebuild the walls. And this happened about 445 BC for you history buffs here. But I want to tell you this, now you're saying Nehemiah built walls and that's cool man, I'm so glad to hear about this from the Bible, but I'm not building any walls unless you're a construction worker. I don't have much in common with Nehemiah, he was, you know, thousands of years ago and I'm just an ordinary person today. Can I encourage you that many of you are rebuilding the walls of your life. Some of you have decided to get involved in church again, to get involved with the Lord again. You said, man, I'm going to have a good connection with God, so you're rebuilding the wall of your spiritual life. Some of you are rebuilding the wall of your financial life. Uh, how many of you know that America is going through a pretty bad recession, right? If you've noticed lately. But in the middle of that, I know some of you are knowing that God's got something great for you in the middle of a recession. And you're saying, I'm rebuilding my business. I'm rebuilding my financial life. I'm putting money back in savings again. We're getting out of credit card debt. We're going to make it happen. And, and, and you're doing that, right? And then some of you with your marriages, let's don't be fools in here. Please, some of you are trying to rebuild the walls of your marriage and you've come to the house of God saying, man, I, God, I, I don't know what to do, but I know you do. And you've come here and maybe you had to drag your spouse to church. That's a good thing. But at any rate, you're just like Nehemiah and you've got to understand this. This is the key. The closer you will get to finishing that wall, the closer you get to what God's called you to do, you're going to have to face opposition. And the enemy will fight to stop you from doing that. And you're like, man, I'm almost there. I'm right there. And then something big hits you in your life. It's like you're coming to church. And you're like, man, the whole family's coming to church today. And then two kids throw up in the car on the way here. And you're like, got to turn around, right? I know that that happens to you guys as y'all too spiritual. But you're on the way to church and you're trying to rebuild your marriage. And then you and your spouse are fighting about what you're going to eat for lunch. Uh, maybe it's just my wife and I do that. You guys don't do that. Again, you're varsity. We're, I'm junior varsity. Or maybe you're getting ready to rebuild the walls of your financial life and then all of a sudden that bill comes in or you had to go to the hospital and you didn't expect it and you get discouraged and say, man, I don't want to finish. What's the point? And so many of us in the body of Christ are just like Nehemiah and we're facing opposition. But I want to encourage you that you're almost there. Don't quit. 
You're almost there. Your family member is just moments from being led to the Lord. Your marriage is just moments from being restored. You may be one counseling session away. Don't give up. Don't quit. So what I want to do this morning is look at the Word of God and look at Nehemiah. And there's three points this morning I want to give to you of what Nehemiah did. So look at Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to turn there and you can write these in your notes because we all know at Thrive Church everybody who's in love with God loves to write notes, right? <laughs> oh, it's good to have fun in church. You can laugh. You can be okay. It's alright. Some people feel like it's a sin to, to laugh in church. They're like, no man, house of God, we can't laugh. Oh, amen. Okay, first point is this. Distraction of purpose. That's the first thing you're going to fight is distraction of purpose. Look at Nehemiah 6 and 1 through 5. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 5. Distraction of purpose. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there was no breaks left in it. Though at the time, listen here, I had not hung the doors in the gates. He was almost finished. Closed the gaps. Everything was done. Doors weren't there yet. He was almost there. That Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, this is the enemies now. This is the antagonist. Let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, and this needs to be your scripture this week, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. What, what Sanballat wanted to do there was bring Nehemiah to the plains of Ono, which is a two-day journey there. But he knew if he could get Nehemiah off the wall to go meet to work things out. Some relationships you just need to... Let me just say this. You can live at peace and not have to be in partnership with that person. Right. He didn't go to Ono. And here's a spiritual principle today. Are you ready? Never go to a place called Oh No to meet with your enemy. <laughs> That's your first spiritual principle. Just say Oh No. I'm not going to Oh No. So Nehemiah said, I'm not going to Oh No. I'm doing a great work. Hutchinson's Law says this. Any occurrence requiring undivided attention will be accompanied by a compelling distraction. Because distract literally means to turn away from the original focus and intent. It means to divert. And also distraction means to pull in conflicting emotional directions. And that's what was happening to Nehemiah. He was almost there and Sam Ballot was like, man, just come to Ono and meet with us and we'll be okay. He said, I'm doing a great work. I'm almost there. I cannot get distracted. And here's what I've heard before. The best way to distract a man from a goal is to give him another one. And that's what Satan will do in your life. Is If he can't destroy you, he'll just distract you. He'll get you focused on something else that's not your purpose, not what you're called to do. And then you'll start getting involved in that and all your energy and your time goes into it. That's why here at Thrive Church, we do things simple. We run what I call simple church. Because I've been in churches where there's like a committee for everything. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a cup of water. Let's have a committee for that. Let's figure out what cup we're going to use, how much water, what it's going to do. You guys are laughing like you've never been in a church like that, right? It's like, okay, we're going to have ministry every night of the week. And my only concern with stuff like that is, when do you spend time with your family? 
so we do things simple. And so people will come to me and be like, man, you've got to get involved in doing this and doing that. I get like 50 calls a week for people who want me to do stuff in the community. And that's fine. If you have something on your heart, I'm going to help let you put it on our Facebook page and we'll put it through our email system. If people want to get involved, let them go. But we stay very focused here. It's love God and love people. It's, it's Sunday worship experience. It's prayer in small groups and then it's outreach. That's, that's all we do here. What are you guys about? We stay focused because I know that the enemy cannot destroy this church. He'll just distract us and get us doing 50,000 things that God has not called us to do. And here's what distraction is. It's not the inability to focus. Because some of you are like, man, I just can't focus. It's the ability to focus on the wrong thing at the wrong time. And it's right as you're getting closer to what God's called you to do that that will happen. I've seen it so many times, guys, where good intention people are swept under because they're involved in so many good things, but it's not God's thing. There are good stuff that you could be doing, then there's God's stuff that you need to be doing. And in your life, you realize that you want to, you know, focus on, on, on your family. So you're like, man, I'm going to focus on my family. We're going to have a family night. We're going to play games together. I'm going to have a family devotion. We're going to do that. But then you're out every night of the week doing something else. Amen? You're always out. You've got a prayer meetings every night. That's prayer meetings are great. Praise God for them. But you spend no time with your family. You're focused on something, but it's not what God's called you to focus on. Or maybe it's your finances. You're like, man, we're going to save. We're going to get out of debt. We're going to do these things. But then you say, yeah, but there's this, there's this really great vacation I want to go on. That's how we think. I mean, that's what my wife and I go through, right? We're like, man, I really want to go here. And we're like, we can't. Why? Because we're focusing on what God has called us to do during this season. So for some of you, it's addiction. And guys, let me just say this. I've worked in addiction recovery for years and what I've seen with people that are in addiction is they will start off really good for about six months. They're going to celebrate recovery meetings, man. They're reading the books. They're going to small groups. They're in it. They're free. Then all of a sudden, they get involved in something else that distracts them from that. I, I was recently coaching a guy and he was going through addiction recovery and at the six month point, I don't know if any of you guys do with addiction recovery but I'm telling you this is the key. At six months you feel like you're free because you've never been that free in your life and they, people will begin to focus on relationships at that point. The worst thing you can do. And so this guy got involved in a relationship and, and he began to push forward in it. He left his recovery house and it was a matter of months before he fell again. Matter of months before he fell again and a matter of months before he fell again. Why? Because he was focused on the wrong thing. When I first got saved, I didn't date anybody. I didn't, I didn't call any females. I got saved at 19 years old. I thought I was pretty sharp looking at that time. But you know what I did? I focused on the Word of God. I focused on, on God. I'm going to serve you. I'm gonna make, I, I'm gonna, it's not about getting Mr. or Mrs. Wright and finding them if you're single. It's about becoming Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Because if you don't become that and you're not the person God's called you to be and you meet the person that's right for you and you're not right, you will sabotage it every time. And I knew that. And I said, God, there's things that you've got to work out in me. And so I focused on the things of God and I just dug. I mean, for five years, people thought I was weird, man. I'd be at work and they're like, hey man, we're going to date somebody. When are you going to start going out? I said, I'm good right now. I'm good right now. Focused on what God had called me. Some of you are going back to school. 
and, and, and you get the degree and, and you realize that this economy you need this certain degree and but then what happens is your car breaks down and so now you need to get a part-time job and you're trying to do that and you end up quitting school or for many females that are young can I say this if you're 18 to 24 listen to me you go to college and you're going to be a psychologist you're going to be a, in the medical field and, and you go and two years into college you meet stud muffin <laughs> and he's the love of your life and you just can't live without him and, and you got to have him and then all of a sudden you know you're in college and then you decide to get married and by your third year you're pregnant and by your fourth you've had a child and then you can't go back to school anymore and you leave with a degree that's literally worthless and I've seen it happen all the time uh, my wife and I, when we got married, I knew she had a degree path she needed to be on. And I said, babe, I'm going to support you in that degree path. I'm going to follow you. And she's a physician assistant today. But so many times we get focused on the wrong thing. And it's like, God, I want you to do something great in my life. But you keep focusing on the other things. What God has called you to do, do it. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 3.12. And just write this down in your notes. He said, this one thing that I do. Philippians 3.12. He didn't say 50 things or 60 things or 100 things. This one thing that I do. What's the one thing God's calling you to do? I'm going to tell you a story about myself for a second. I, I write books and I love writing. I mean, if I had time, I would just write all the time. I love writing books. I published my first book in 2007. But how many of you know that writing a book is not only time consuming, but then you got to get out and promote that book. Now, you can send your book to Walmart and be like, yeah, man, Walmart's got my book. If it don't sell in 30 days, guess what they're going to do? Ship your books back to you and it's not in an orderly fashion. <laughs> And so, I know God wants me to write books, but when God called me here to Thrive Church and we launched this church, I said, God, I've got two books finished and the publisher's ready to put one to the press. And I said, God, I'm not, I'm not ready because you called me to do this. And I could write books and it's a good thing and it's a really great thing, but it's not God's thing for me in this season. Why? Because this body needs my attention. This community needs my attention. And so you've got to determine what is your plane of oh no. Where is Ono at for you? Where is that? Maybe you sit down to study and you get lost on Facebook for four hours. Again, none of you in here do this, but I know you have friends that do and you really need to talk to them about it. Or maybe it's something where you sit down and you're playing, I don't know, I don't play games like Farmville. They even have that anymore. But you're playing Farmville and you're building all this great stuff and your kids sitting in a room by themselves and have, no, have had no attention all day. I'm just saying, don't, don't y'all look at me like that. I'm trying to help you in this place. <laughs> Nehemiah refused to be distracted. And friends, I'm telling you, the first thing the enemy's going to try, he's going to try to distract you. Here's a second point this morning to write in your notes. It's distortion of relationships. Distortion of relationships. Discredit. They try to discredit Nehemiah. Look at Nehemiah 6, 5 through 9. Then Sam Mallet sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. Say, oh no. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, you, you, you follow me here? It's reported among the nations, and Geshem says, it's like somebody comes to you, and they're saying, well, everybody's saying. Really? Who's everybody? Like them and, and their, their prayer partner? Um, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. So this is what Geshem's accusing Nehemiah of. This is serious. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king, Nehemiah. 
And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There's a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come, therefore, and let us consult together. They're trying to use manipulation to get Nehemiah to, oh no. And then I sent to him, saying, oh no. Now he did, but... It, he said this way. He said, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying, their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Geshem, our new antagonist, starts to send open letters throughout the region. Now, now what does that have to do with you? It's almost like in our day and time, posting on Facebook on your wall. Everybody can see it, right? Uh, in that damn time, when they had letters, the letters had seals on them, and the seals had wax stamps, and you would stamp it, and when you sent it to the king, if it was open, you didn't read the letter because it had been tampered with. But what Geshem did, he took this open letter with these rumors, and he said, Nehemiah, I'm going to ruin your reputation, bro. Get ready because everybody's going to read this letter and when it does it's going to put you under because I'm going to tell them that you're trying to be their king that you're trying to destroy them. Realize this the more you do for God the more people will gossip about you they'll misinterpret your motives and misunderstand what you're really trying to do. It's just a part of leadership. And let me just say this this is, this is my, my point here. You've got to be above offense in life man. You've got to be above offense. And I don't know what happens to us when we get saved. I mean, I know we get regenerated, praise God, and we're going to heaven. But it seems like when we get saved, we become the easiest to be offended ever. I'm I, I being real. I'm talking about myself too. I'm not preaching to you guys. And I'm telling you, the one thing that I've seen that people have a call and God wants to do something in their life, they let a fence creep in. And when a fence creeps in, man, it destroys you. You've got to be above a fence. And here's what I tell the church often. And I want you guys to memorize this. Be hard to offend and find it easy to forgive. Be hard to offend and find it easy to forgive. Now what I'm saying is if you've been offended or hurt in relationship, let me take a time out and give a commercial break. Go through the biblical steps. Go to the person and just let them know. Share your heart. But it, listen, reconciliation doesn't mean if you have a husband or spouse or somebody ex that was beating you to move back in with them. You need to, to move far away if that's happening. Amen? I'm not telling you that if you have somebody manipulating you and using you to just live above a fence and move back in and pray and God's going to work it out. Uh, sometimes that means that you say, I'm not offended anymore. I love you. But our partnership just can't work anymore. And I don't mean that in relationships. I, I mean that sometimes when you have people in your life as friends that have hurt you and offended you. But as a believer, I believe we should be the hardest people to offend, but we should also find it the easiest to forgive people. And I'm telling you, if you need marriage counseling, that right there will solve 90% of the problems in your marriage. Stop getting offended because they put the toilet paper roll backwards and you do it frontwards. <laughs> You, they squeeze the toothpaste and then you roll it up and you're so mad at them because they're not, I, I'm telling you, that's where a lot of, you know, he keeps leaving hair in the sink. I mean, I've realized this. I took my wife and I laugh because as we grow in marriage, there are certain things that she will never change. 
There's, I'm not going to tell you those. I'm not, she's not here today. She's working. I'm not going to incriminate myself because you guys will be like, yeah, Pastor Kevin told me what you do. But there's certain things she was, she's just never going to change. And I can keep getting offended at it and upset with it, but I choose to realize, you know what, man, I'm just going to forgive her. I'm going to clean it up and we'll keep going. And she has a lot of mercy on me because she knows there's things that I will always forget. Because how many women know men forget a lot, don't we? It's like we are born with amnesia. <laughs> I just asked you to pick your socks up off the middle of the floor. And you're like, man, I forgot. And we really do. We're not lying. <laughs> but if Satan can't distract you, he will seek to distort relationships close to you. I, I spoke on relationships last week, and it's funny how this ties in again this week. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 9 through 11. You can just write these in your notes, because I trust that you will study your notes again this week as great disciples of Jesus. And you will look back through them. Amen. I got like three amens. Y'all like, don't you trick me into that. Matthew 24, 9 through 11. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. This is in the last days Jesus is speaking of. Uh, how many of you guys know that we're kind of in the last days right now? And that means persecution of Christians, that we're evil and we're this and we're that. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Get ready, guys. All nations are going to hate us. Just, just get ready for it. You know, just because your friend hates you because you're a Christian, you, you need to get ready for all the nations. Now, here's a kicker. Verse 10. And then many will be offended. Say offended. Will betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Wow. Then many will be offended. The first step in betraying and hurting people and in breaking relationship is letting offense come into your heart. Well, I cannot believe they let, they let their puppy pee in my yard. I am so mad at them. I'm, gonna, I'm so upset. So what happens is you get offended. That word offense in the Greek, listen to me carefully, it's the word bait. Scandalous. Bait. Uh, if you're like Frankie, you know what bait catches fish, right? When you go fishing, the bait matters, correct? Satan knows that the bait to destroy you and I is offense. And one of his key workings is to get us offended and get us betraying and hating one another. So here's what happens. You get offended, and I get offended. Things happen to me all the time. It's an infraction, an encroachment, as you would see in, you cross a line, as you would see in football, uh, offsides, encroachment for you football fans. So, so you get offended, some, something somebody did to you. Then resentment sets in. And again, none of you guys go through this. I know you're way above this, but just, just in case you ever face it. You start to resent the person. And you're like, man. And it starts to fester. And you replay it over and over and over in your mind, right? I'm preaching a lot better than you guys are shaking your head and saying amen. I know if I, I go through this all the time. Then betrayal happens. You get to a place where you're so angry, you start sending open letters. The best way to tell whether or not you've overcome an offense is do you send open letters? Uh, you know, and, and I think many of us need to understand etiquette on Facebook. Facebook is for friends. Thank you. I'll go ahead and tell you straight up, man. I don't argue. I don't like to fight and debate. We can do whatever coffee. But I see so many people get on Facebook and they're like attacking people. I'm like, whoa! And they're sending open letters. They're upset and they're mad and they're angry and they're saying, man, I, I'm going to 
hurt this person because betrayal happens. That's the, that's the final thing, betrayal and hatred, where you start betraying people and then hating people. And the Bible says if you hate someone, you might as well go ahead and murder someone because it's just as bad in God's eyes. You see how Satan works that in though? There are puppy peas in your yard and you're upset with them. And so then you get really mad and angry. And then you start replaying what you're going to do to their puppy next time he comes in the yard. And so then you post on Facebook, if your puppy comes in my yard again, I'm going to do this and that to him. And I love dogs. If you hurt a dog, I'm going I'm I'm to hurt you. But, uh, and, and so then you, you, know, you start hating that person. And then you drive in the driveway and you look at them. They're in their yard raking to them. Hey. And you're like... See, I know how you guys operate. You can't fool me in church. This stuff here don't fool me. Because I go through the same stuff. But here's how you've got to deal with offense. It's the word forgiveness. And it's key for believers. Jesus gave a parable of this servant who owed millions of dollars to this master. Millions of dollars. And the master calls him in. He says, I'm forgiving you of all of your debt. Millions of dollars. I mean, is that not great? That's like shouting stuff. But here's what the, the guy does. He leaves and immediately finds people that owe him hundreds of dollars and he wants to throw them in prison. That's the story of 99.9% .9 of Christians in our walk. Jesus has forgiven us of everything. He's forgiven you of past, present, and future sins by his blood. It has cleansed us. It is, he has forgiven us. We're on our way to heaven. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Isn't that awesome? Millions we, you could have never paid your debt with good works. And we're so free. But then somebody's puppy goes in our yard and we're ready to not forgive them because they did that to us. That's how we overcome offense. And if you, you look at it here, I actually wrote this down. And here's what you probably need to say to God. You say, Lord, you have saved me from so much. You have forgiven me. Cleanse me and release me from all debts. Lord, your mercies are new every morning. So now I choose to forgive just like you have forgiven me. Lord, let my mercies be new every morning to others. His, more, his mercies are new every morning, aren't they? Our mercies should be new too because we're called to be Christ-like. So let my mercies be new every morning. Help me to release all debts as you have released mine. And I'll release those who have offended me and those who have hurt me. What a prayer to pray each morning. Amen? Uh, Narvaez, the Spanish patriot, was laying there dying. And his priest came to him. He said, Narvaez, have you forgiven all of your enemies? Narvaez says, but yes, Father, I sure have. For I've shot them all. <laughs> he says, I have no enemies that exist anymore. Uh, it, that's kind of our story too, right? In life. Nehemiah was going through a serious time. Where he had open letters sent about him. I, I was in a situation when I started my church in Florida and, um, and, and did that. It was, a very, it was a really big undertaking. And we had this little building that was probably the size of the stage. I'm being serious. This is where we met in a, in a storefront. And like, I mean, it was really small. I think we could fit 15, 20 chairs in. And at that time, this pastor opened his door up and said, man, come on in. Use our building. He's been there for eight years. He's still running 15 people. And so I was like, cool, man. We have eight people. We're just, we're just launching this church. We'll do it. And so I met there and, and we did real well. And the church began to explode. It was like, we had like 40 folks in there. People sitting on the floor. I was like, man, we got to do something. So the pastor come to me. He's like, man, we can knock this wall out. We can do this and do that. I said, how much that going to cost us? He said, X amount of thousands of dollars. I was like, 
dude, we're a church plant. We cannot afford that. We can't do it. And so I said, I've got to find another place to meet. I'm sorry, you know. And the stuff we were paying him wasn't worth it. So it was very little money that he asked from us. But when we stepped out and we moved to the building, we continued to grow and continued to grow. Um, I started getting, woo, watch out. How's the Holy Spirit? You guys didn't see that. <laughs> He began to send open letters about me. I started getting calls from his parishioners and calls from my parishioners and why are you doing this and, 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 and you said you would do this and you're not doing that and they were just, I mean, open letters again and again and man, you know how angry that made me feel and how hurt that made me feel and so what I decided to do was do what Matthew 18 tells us to do. I went to the pastor. I said, man, I don't know what's going on but I have an emails, our conversations. Realize this. Follow me here. Check in. If you've just checked out, check in. If you think there may be an open letter situation, talk in email. Don't argue, but just confirm after your conversation. I always do that to confirm because there's a date and a time stamp and they can't lie. Amen? So after I meet with somebody, I say, let's just confirm what, what we went over. I'll send you an email about it. They'll say, okay, and, I, and then I want you to respond that it's approved. And so I did that. And I met with them. And uh, the guy began, oh, no, 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 it's no problem, man. It's no problem. Everything's good, brother. Oh, no, no, no. You know how that stuff is, right? Uh, somebody doing that is just as bad as lying in my book. I said, no, no, th there is a problem, man, and, and we need to deal with it. Oh, no, 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 you're good. Well, I left, and guess what? Continued open letters. Continued open letters. Continued open letters. And he continued to come against me time and time and time again. And it got so bad that the year later, him and his associates were doing it. I literally felt like Nehemiah. I mean, the stuff they were saying about me, they had nothing they could accuse me of. In the, but they were, oh, he's just this and he's just that. And I went through it. But you know what I learned? I learned that it was not his level of offense that mattered. It was my level of forgiveness that really mattered. And so I chose to forgive this brother. I chose to bless him. We continued to bless his ministry. And when I got ready to leave Florida, my mom became really sick with cancer. As you guys know, this summer and passed away. I moved back here to take care of her. And at the same time, I was working here at the church. I, I called him and said, man, I want to meet with you and tell you what's happened in my life. He never returned my call. But do you understand that maturity is living above the offense and saying, man, I'm going to still love you no matter if we're in partnership or not. Nehemiah and those people, Nehemiah didn't get offended. The people didn't get offended. They kept pressing on in the place of rumors. Some of you are facing rumors this week. Some of you are going through it this week. God didn't have me put this in the message just so I could say something cool and you could say amen. I believe some of you are going through that. And hear me, man. Ask God to give you the grace to forgive other people as he has forgiven you. Here's the third and final point this morning. Look at Nehemiah 6, 10 through 14. Nehemiah 6, 10 through 14. The dilution of faith. Dilution of faith in your notes. Write that down your third point. Nehemiah 6, 10 through 14. And Daisy, if you'll come. And afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer, and said, let us meet together in the house of God. They're trying to get into another place. Does that sound a little better than the land of Ono, right? House of God. Maybe he'll fall for that one. Within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you, Nehemiah. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. Verse 11, and I said, should such a man as I flee, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Verse 12, Nehemiah says, then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. 
For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. Verse 14, my God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to their works and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets would have made me afraid. You're saying, okay, what's the big deal here? I, I, I don't get it really. Dilution of faith, compromise. Only the priests were allowed to go into those temples and shut the doors. Nehemiah wasn't a priest and the priests were trained to do that. They were called to do that. And to go into the temple would have been sin. And so Nehemiah gets word that the red coats are coming. The red coats are coming. Get ready. Get ready, Nehemiah. They're going to kill you, man. You better get ready because they're going to destroy you. And there's a false prophet who was hired on to do this. And Nehemiah stands there. He says, I will not go into the temple because it's sin. I will not compromise on what God's called me to do even if it costs me my life. What resolution that Nehemiah had there. He said, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going and I will not sin because I've often, often heard this too. What Satan cannot destroy, he will die loot. I remember when I first got saved and I got saved off the turnip truck. I didn't know Jesus from a hole in the wall, man. I didn't like grow up in Sunday school and I could like carry you to Book of Jonah and do I, I I didn't know. I was fresh. And so I started a Christian band and we were really bad. <laughs> really bad when I first but there was this other band that was so much better. And so they invited me to play guitar and go on tour with them. We actually got to play with Grits. If you guys know, it's not Girls Raising the South. It's a, a, a Christian rap band. And they're awesome. And so we got to go play with Grits and go do these big shows. But these guys here were undercover. Uh, well, actually not undercover Christians. They were undercover terrible people. I mean, the stuff they would do on tour was just like, really? I mean, I was sitting there as a new believer. I was like, man, you guys are going gonna to do that? You're going to do this? I wanted to play so bad in that band, man. I wanted it so bad. And I, and I came home from tour that Sunday after the, uh, the service. And there was a pastor speaking. And I'll never forget that this. I, for the rest of my life, I can see the PowerPoint. I can hear the, the, the pastor speaking it. And it said this, purity equals power. Purity equals power. And, and she began to share that some of you are in a place of compromise. And I was sitting there like, I was like, my God, man. Has this woman been, been outside my window at night? I mean, how does she know what's going on? Was she, was she at that show? I mean, how does she know? And, and the Lord began to speak to me. I went home that day and I went, went to our, our back bedroom. It's the only place you'd get away and be quiet to pray. And I just sat there for God, new believer. I said, God, I really think if you, were, if you ever spoke, you spoke today. That's all I know. And I felt the Lord impress upon me. Again, I've never heard an audible voice. I hadn't seen angels come and, and stand and tell me stuff. So if you have, man, praise God for you. I, I haven't. I'm just not that spiritual. Not that good, I guess. So for all the rest of you who, who, who struggle sometimes hearing God, I felt the Lord impress upon me. Quit the band. Because purity equals power. And I can't bless that if you're in that diluted band. He said, I, he said, I'm going to take care of them, but I want you to stop it and do your own thing. I said, God, our band's terrible. You know that. Now, I know you say make a joyful noise, but we're bad. <laughs> and I struggled in prayer a little bit. But I ended up 
doing that, I quit the band. I started my own band and we ended up touring, we ended up cutting albums, we ended up doing things I never thought we would do and we got much better and much better but God told me, Kevin, do not compromise because I can't bless compromise and I know some of you today are, are sitting in here and you have decisions to make in your life and there's small compromises the enemy wants you to make, man. Some of you are, are, are in a relationship with your spouse and you don't feel that affection anymore. We talked about a men's ministry on Saturdays and you just don't feel the affection anymore. And so you're at work and there's this Rico Suave over there that keeps wanting to text you. Yeah, I'm speaking real right now. There, there, there's somebody who, you have a, somebody you, that's in high school that you saw on Facebook and now you're going to start talking to them again because they really make you feel good. And you're compromising, small compromises, small compromises, small compromises. And if you continue to do that, it's going to lead you down the path called big trouble. Maybe for some of you, it, it's money. Um, I told you last week that, I, that we had a financial administrator in Florida that was still in thousands of dollars and we didn't know it from our church. We kept wondering why was the offering baskets filled up and the numbers didn't match. That when we confronted him, the man repented, man, it's awesome, he's paying it back. He said, he cried, he said, man, I just, I just needed some gas one day and I thought if I just, I could just pay it back in tithe. And he wept, he said, the small compromise, man, it just cost me. Some of you in that situation with your finances, you're starting to make small compromises. Some of you know that the person, you, that you're just dating this person and you should not be in the bed with them yet. Don't awaken those desires until it's time. And so you're starting to awaken desires. You've got small compromises. And you say, what's the big deal now, Kevin? Really? Dude, are you preaching law to me, man? Come on. I'm trying to help you. Men, late at night, you decide to look at a website. And you start, you say, I just look a little bit, man. My, my wife and I really aren't jiving like usual. So I'm going to look at this website. If this is too real for you, then, then we, we can help you find a church that, that, that's not going to be real. But you start looking at websites and then you get caught into addiction. For some of you, it, 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 you're, you're battling addiction right now, man. Drinking. You say, man, well, the Bible says, yeah, yeah, but the Bible don't say drink a 12-pack every night, man, and get abusive and loud to your family. I can have a glass of wine. I, the people who argue that usually don't drink just a glass of wine. Usually they're the ones drinking 15 of them and don't remember anything that happened the next day. I'm just telling you, I'm trying to help you in this place. Friends, I know that I can't drink alcohol because I, I grew up in addiction. I can't go back to it. I knew if I just, it starts, always starts with small. And Nehemiah was faced with a small compromise. Go into the temple, Nehemiah. Save your life. Listen, the Bible says this. 1 Timothy 4 says, In the last days, men will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and having their consciences seared with a hot iron. What does that mean, man? Explain to me that in, in my language. It means that you can't tell what's right and wrong anymore. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. That means you don't know what's right and wrong anymore. You cuss people out and have no problem with that. You can't tell it's right. You can't tell it's wrong. You holler and yell at your kids and say things to them that nobody should say, but you see nothing wrong with that. The way that you treat people, you see nothing wrong. And, and what happens, your conscience begins to get seared like a hot iron and you don't know what's right and wrong anymore. And the Bible says in the last days, people are going to leave the faith because they don't know anymore. And that's where our country is at right now. Daniel 
was moved from Babylon or to Babylon from Judah. And friends, he was in that situation just like Nehemiah. And they said, eat what we eat and drink what we drink and do what we do. Daniel said, I cannot do that. He said, I refuse to do that. And Daniel said, I will not compromise and I will not make concessions to what you want, king. And you know that after 21 days of fasting and him just eating the, the, the vegetables and, and drinking water and those things, he was stronger than the men who did all those other things. Let me tell you this real quick. What you're willing to walk away from determines what God will bring to you. And some of you need to walk out of that relationship. You need to walk out of that situation because God has something better for you. I'm not telling you to get divorced. Don't listen to me with that. You come get counsel before you ever think of something like that. But some of you have things that you need to get out of and, and you're stuck in. And I, I'm telling you, if you will leave that, God has something so much better for you. Because you know in Daniel what happened in Daniel 1, after he did that, the Lord gave him the ability to interpret the dreams for the king. I believe if he wouldn't have walked away from those things and gave concessions, God would have found somebody else to do it. What you're willing to walk away from determines what God will bring to you. Let me close here. Verse 16 of Nehemiah 5. Let me just share this verse with you. He says, Instead, I devoted myself to work on this wall. I devoted myself to work on this wall. Nehemiah stayed focused on what God had for him, friends. He didn't get distracted. He didn't compromise. He didn't get offended. And I'm telling you today, as we finish this series out, that some of you are right in that place and the Lord is saying, do not get distracted. Work on the wall. What is your wall? What is your wall? Work on the wall in your life. If you will, bow your head and close your eyes in this place.